All right, greetings to all of our campuses. We are so glad you are here. Uh, Just a reminder that next weekend, all of our campuses and venues will be together at 15th Street for an awesome experience. We have the privilege of hosting the His Little Feet Children's Choir that weekend, which is going to be fantastic. You won't want to miss it. Service times are the usual 15th Street times. So Saturday, 6 p.m., Sunday, 9 and 11. And I am also super excited about our baptism service this weekend, Sunday evening. Uh, Because of the significance significance of this, I wanted to just say a few words about baptism. Baptism is an opportunity for a believer to publicly declare that they are a follower of Jesus. So it is a symbolic representation of our union with Christ. When we go under the water, it symbolizes that our sins have been buried with him in his death. And then when we come out of the water, it symbolizes our new life in him. It is an awesome picture of salvation and a way to publicly declare, I am a follower of Jesus. So if you have never been baptized as a believer in Jesus, I urge you to be. What what are you waiting for? Jesus commanded it. It is a way to show others that you love him and are following him, so why not do it this weekend? Now, some of you may um, hesitate because you're waiting for the perfect moment, right? You want all of your family and all your friends here, etc. And I totally understand that. But at the same time, let's not forget that it is ultimately about our obedience to God. He wants us to be baptized. Why wait to obey him? There are others of you who perhaps were baptized as an infant, and that baptism was a reflection of your parents' desire that you would follow God. But now you are a believer in Jesus. He commands that you be baptized as a reflection of your faith in him. So again, if you are a believer in Jesus, maybe you recently prayed to receive Christ in one of our services or our Alpha course, or maybe you've been a Christian for some time, but you have never been baptized as a believer, I I urge you to do so this weekend. Um, Here's how it'll work. We have an orientation at 4 p.m. Sunday afternoon in the community room. Bring a towel, and some clothes, or some clothes, and some clothes to, or a swimsuit to be baptized in. Yeah, clothes are not optional. Um, <laughs> um, also, we ask that you fill out a, a baptism form. There is a brochure in the information packet. Fill that out and bring that with you at four o'clock, or you can fill it out online on our website. And if someone is going to be baptizing you, we ask that they come with you to the orientation at four. And then around five-ish, we're going to have some pizza for those who are participating in the baptism. And then at six, um, we'll have our service. And so we invite all of you, Christ community, we invite all of you to come and celebrate the salvation that God has brought into these people's lives. And then after the service, we're going to celebrate with some birthday cake, a spiritual birthday cake. So hope to see you there. Well, today we are concluding this teaching series entitled Taboo, The Things We Don't Talk About. In this series, we have been looking at some of those things that we may struggle with personally, but we don't feel comfortable talking about those things with anyone else, especially in church. So far, we've talked about depression, addiction, same-sex attraction, and loneliness. If you missed any of those messages, you can watch them online. I mean, our struggles with these things are very real, and yet we often keep them to ourselves, and we end up struggling in silence and, and alone. And so in this series, we are wanting to talk openly about these things, discovering God's heart for us in the midst of these struggles. 
Well, today, we're going to be talking about a, a taboo subject as it relates to parenting. You know, I think every parent, especially the longer we've been parents, every parent carries this silent burden of parental guilt. We carry this fear that some aspect of our parenting has messed up our kids' lives forever, that there is something we have done or not done that will result in them spending years in counseling so they can function in life as adults. You know, I think of all the, the boneheaded things that I've done as a dad. Actually, I prefer not to think about those things. But I remember being in Home Depot with Erin when she was like five years old. And I had picked up a wrong item. And so I sent her um, with this item to another part of the store to take it back. It's a very, very large store, right? Totally unsupervised. Pretty soon, you know, pretty soon I'm hearing the code blue, you know, lost child alert over the intercom, and I was that parent, right? I was that parent. And afterwards, I made Aaron swear that she wouldn't tell Raylene. Um, um, and now, now she's 21, and she keeps talking about, she keeps bringing up that incident, um, actually just occasionally. But I, I did tell her that I would pay for her counseling bill. But, you know, so many times as parents, we secretly feel like failures, And this is especially true when our kids grow up and and they're on their own and they start making decisions and life choices that break our heart. Perhaps they rebel against the values that we have raised them them with. They, they, They turn away from the Lord. They move in with their boyfriend or girlfriend. They start pursuing unhealthy behaviors and making unwise choices. And we wonder, what did we do wrong? What could we have done differently? It is excruciatingly painful. Our hearts grieve over our children. And yet, often, we don't want to tell anyone what's going on because we're ashamed. We feel like failures. So what does God want to say to us as parents when we feel like failures? That's what I want to talk about today. Even though every situation is unique, I do believe there are some biblical truths that God wants to anchor into our soul. Now, obviously, these truths are for parents, but this message is also for those who want to be parents someday or those of us who know parents who may be struggling with feelings of failure. What does God want to say to us parents who feel like failures? I believe there are five, there are five things. First, realize you're in good company realize you're in good company. You know, when I started thinking about how I would teach on this subject, I went to scripture and I tried, tried to find examples of, of, of parents who had wayward children. Now, there are a lot of wayward children in the Bible and a lot of bad parenting examples. But I was hoping to find an example of a decent parent whose child ended up rebelling and going on the wrong path. And then that parent was processing how that felt. And then we could maybe learn from their processing. And so I, <clears throat> excuse me, I searched scripture for an example, <coughs> for an example like that, and I came up empty. And then it struck me, we do have an example of that. Look with me at Isaiah chapter one, verse two. <clears throat> Hear me. You heavens, listen, earth, for the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. Who is the parent in this passage? God is. And he is grieving the fact that his children have rebelled against him. I mean, think of that. The most loving and perfect parent 
of all, has wayward children. Jesus reiterated this as well in his story of the prodigal son in Luke 15, right? A a father has two sons and one of his sons comes to his dad and, and, and says, I want my inheritance early. In other words, he's basically saying to his dad, I wish you were dead. You mean nothing to me. I really just want your money. How heartbreaking that would be for a dad. So the father gives the money to him. Half the inheritance gives to his son. And the son goes on, goes away on an extended spring break trip. And he squanders it all on wild partying. And he loses everything. And in his misery, the son comes to his senses and decides to come back to his dad, filled with shame and, and remorse for his behavior. So what is the father doing during this time? Jesus tells us that the father, filled with love, is waiting, looking into the distance to see if his son is ever coming home. And when he sees him, he runs to meet him. That that father in the story is God. And we, of course, are the rebellious children who so often choose to go our own way. So so here's my point. For those of us who feel like failures as parents because your children or our children are not walking in the values that we raise them and are living in rebellion against God, you know what? You're in good company. That's exactly how God feels. He knows what it feels like. He he has not removed himself from your presence. He is not scolding you with a crooked finger. No, his heart is breaking along with yours. He feels your pain, the pain of rejected love, the pain of watching a child make bad choices and suffer the consequences. He knows what that feels like. You can run to him with this pain. You can run to him with your hopelessness and despair. His arms are open wide and his heart is as well. Well, the second thing that I believe the Lord would want to say to any parent who feels like a failure is this. Stop looking for a parenting guarantee. Stop looking for a parenting guarantee. A lot of Christian parents have consciously or subconsciously bought into the idea that godly parenting will guarantee godly kids. That if we as parents get the Christian formula right, if we pray with our kids every night or eat dinners together or homeschool our children or we have them go to a Christian school or we have them be salt and light in a public school or we have, I had to cover all those, or we have them in Awanas or we take them to church or whatever, that if we do those things, there is a guarantee that our kids are going to grow up into godly, Christ-following adults. Now, please hear me. I'm not saying that any of those things are bad. We as parents can have tremendous influence on our children. And it is vitally important that we do all we can to raise them in a loving home where where Christ is at the center and we where we demonstrate lots of loving affirmation and, and also appropriate loving discipline, a home where 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 we bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. All of that is biblical and important. But here's the deal doing all of those things and more doesn't guarantee that our children are going to become godly, Christ-following adults. It doesn't. Godly parenting does not guarantee godly children. 
I mean, we see this in the first few pages of the Bible. Adam and Eve had Abel and Cain, right? One was a worshiper, the other a murderer. Jacob had Joseph and all the other brothers, right? David had Solomon and Absalom. Godly parenting doesn't guarantee godly children. Now, there is one verse in the Bible that has caused the most guilt in this regard, and it's found in Proverbs 22, verse 6. It is here that we read, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, it sounds like that's offering a formula, a biblical guarantee for parenting. If you raise your kid right, you know, he, and he or, she, he or she, if you raise them right, he or she will walk with God their whole life. But you know what? That's not reality. I mean, here's what we need to understand about the book of Proverbs in the Bible. This is an interpretive principle. It's very important. This book offers incredible principles about life, wonderful wisdom about how life generally works. That's what the word Proverbs means. It's how life generally works. But these principles are not intended to be 100% guarantees in every situation. The, the, The verse I just read offers a general principle and an encouragement for us as parents to guide our children according to their way, which is literally how it reads, guide our children according to how God has made them, and that the seeds we sow in them as children will often Im- impact the, the, the direction of their life. That's absolutely true. Uh, that generally speaking, a godly loving home will direct children toward a godly loving path. And so we as parents are to do all we can to provide a godly loving home. But, and this is very important, there are also other factors that can influence this situation. Things that we as parents have no control of. For instance, our child's personality. I mean, most every parent I know who has more than one child will often express bewilderment at how different their children are. Same home, same love, same discipline coming from the same parents, and their children will have totally different responses and reactions and choices. I mean, we didn't choose this as parents. You know, our children were born that way. They just, they just come out that way. No matter how much we want to believe that parenting is ultimately all about how well we nurture a child, reality reminds us that nature plays a significant role as well. Years ago, some friends of our family had two children, and things were going so well, they thought they should write a book on parenting. And then they had their third child. And that book never got written. There is no formula for this stuff. There are principles that generally work, but there is no formula. There is no guarantee that if you do this and this, if we do this and this, our children are going to walk with God throughout their life. Now, in addition to personality, another factor that is critically important in this discussion is the reality of sin. The reality of sin. Our children are born sinful. Sinful. Why? Because we're sinful, right? The Bible makes this abundantly clear. We are sinners. And when we have children, they are also sinners. There is no way around this. And so here's what this means, practically speaking. While we can do lots to help shape and influence our children's hearts when they're young, we cannot change 
their heart. We can shape and influence, but we cannot change their heart. That's something only God can do through the power of the gospel. And so part of the journey of parenting is this continual transition of control. We all know this as parents, right? It's this continual transition of control. Early on, when our kids are little, we, we control pretty much everything in terms of our behavior and the environment and all that. But as they grow older, we gradually let them have more responsibility and, and more decision-making and, and more control, all, of course, within the loving context of our home. But at some point, they grow up into adults and they leave our home. And we are now trusting and hoping that all that instruction and modeling and loving discipline will help them make wise choices. But here's the deal. Sometimes they don't make wise choices. As our children grow and leave the home, they have the freedom to choose their own path. And sometimes their choices will break our hearts But it is their choice. It's their choice. And they will be held responsible before God. They'll be held responsible for those choices. We read in Ezekiel 18, kind of this principle here, verse 20. The one who sins is the one who will die. The child will not share the guilt of the parent, nor will the parent share the guilt of the child. The righteousness of the righteous will be credited to them, and the wickedness of the wicked will be charged against them. See, the principle here is that we are all, we are each individually responsible before God for our choices, for our sin. That includes our grown children who are responsible for their choices. Again, godly parenting does not guarantee godly children, which should cause us to Two really important things here, conclusions here to to this point. Two really important things. It should cause us, first of all, to hesitate in beating ourselves up over choices that our children make, that our adult children make. It should cause us to hesitate beating ourselves up over choices that they're making. We can grieve them, but to beat ourselves up over that should cause us to hesitate to do that. And It should also cause us to hesitate. This is very important. It should cause us to hesitate in looking down on other parents whose children are making poor choices. Thinking to ourselves, if they were in our family, they wouldn't have turned out that way. We need to repent of that right now. That attitude. That armchair quarterbacking we do as we look at other parents' children, other friends of their children. We have no idea how we would have responded if that child had been in our family, in our home. We have no idea. There is no formula. (laughs) There is no guarantee that if we do the right things, our children are going to turn out okay. Again, we can influence them. We can raise them in a loving, gospel-centered home. But we cannot guarantee that they they will embrace these things for themselves. That's out of our hands. Which is... which is an incredibly incredibly humbling and sometimes terrifying place to be. But it's exactly where God wants us because it moves us to be completely dependent upon him. Which leads us to the third thing I believe God would want to say to us as parents. Own your mistakes. 
own your mistakes. As I was thinking about this message, I realized that while I want to encourage us parents, I do not want to flatter us. In other words, I don't want to. I don't want this talk, this teaching, to be simply a pep talk. Hey, we're all great parents, you know. I mean, as I mentioned earlier, there are lots of bad parenting examples in the Bible. Isaac, I mean, just start in Genesis. Isaac was a terrible dad, resulting in Jacob being insecure and Esau being a jerk. Jacob was not a great father, creating this, this sibling rivalry between Joseph and his brothers. I mean, I mean, here's the deal. We are all sinners. We are not perfect parents. Now, I don't believe God is saying to us, hey, that's, that's okay, just ignore it, just sweep it under the rug. No, I mean, that, that's never how God has encouraged us to deal with our sin. No, what, what God says is, own it. Look honestly at your sin and bring it to the cross. Don't ignore it. Don't act like it's, it's not there. Just, just own it. And this applies to parenting in a big way. If we feel like a, par- a failure as a parent, if our kids are not walking with the Lord, if our, if our relationship with them is, is estranged and, and distant, I believe the Lord would want us to look at that. To ask the Holy Spirit if there is anything we have done to contribute to this situation, to contribute to their behavior, anything we have done in which we have hurt them or caused distance. Again, I'm not talking about looking for a formula. I'm not talking about forever beating ourselves up for our mistakes. No, but, but what I am talking about here is real healthy relationships 101. That's what this is. We don't get a pass on healthy relationships just because we're parents in terms of how we can treat our children. This is healthy parenting 101. The Bible is incredibly clear on this. If we have hurt someone, even our child, If we have hurt someone, if we have let someone down, not kept our word or whatever, we are called by Jesus to go to them and apologize, to go to them and own what we have done, to own our self-centeredness, to own our anger, to own our pride. One of the worst things we can do as parents is to not own our mistakes, to not admit them to gloss over our sins and mistakes, but then to focus with a microscope on theirs. Our kids can smell that hypocrisy a mile away. And what happens is it undermines the gospel in their lives because they see the hypocrisy. Parents, if if you have children still in the home, don't be afraid to apologize when you mess up as a dad or a mom. When you get angry, when you say things you shouldn't, own it. Our kids need to see this, that we are humble enough to own when we mess up. And and, and when we have an adult child that is not walking with the Lord, that's rebelling in some way, you know, it is so easy for us as parents to focus on their behavior. But what about our own? Are there things we have done as parents that negatively impacted our children? And, 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 And have we talked with them about that? Have we gone to them and said, you know what, I was thinking about our relationship and I realize how often my anger hurt you. It hurt your heart when you were growing up. Or I realized how often my busyness kept me from really being there for you. I'm sorry. Or you know what, I realized that I never told you that I love you. I never told you that that I'm proud of you and I'm sorry because I am proud of you. I do love you. Or, you know what, I'm really sorry for your mom and my decision to get a divorce and how that hurt you. I'm sorry that that decision hurt you. 
I don't care how old you are or how old your children are. It is never too late to own your stuff. It's never too late for us to own our stuff, to apologize to them for anything we have done, intentionally or unintentionally, anything we have done to hurt them. It is never too late to do that. We all need the gospel, right? I mean, that, that, this is why the cross of Christ is so powerful. The cross doesn't say to us, hey, clean yourself up or just ignore your sin, act like it never happened. No, no, no. The cross says, own it. Admit your brokenness and look to Jesus. And that's where we find life and forgiveness in him and we find restored relationships. It's at the cross. The fourth thing that I believe God would want to say to us as parents is this relinquish control of your children to me. Relinquish control of your children to me. You see, ultimately, God wants us to trust him with everything in our lives, including our children. You know, I think of Abraham in Genesis chapter 22, where where he's laying his son Isaac on the altar. And I think that's where God wants all of our children. Not, Not physically, but as it relates to our heart. He wants us as parents to relinquish control of our children to him, to trust him. Even when they are choosing a lifestyle that breaks our heart, even when they are rebelling and doing things that are destroying their lives, it is excruciating to watch. But at some point, we have to realize that we are not in control of their lives. We love them, we want the best for them, we grieve over their choices, but ultimately we release them into God's hands. I recently read a portion of a book um, entitled Come Back, Barbara, where the dad, his name is John Miller, he talks about their experience with their rebellious daughter, Barbara. And he, he hated watching her fall into the chaos of her own making. And they were doing everything, as parents, they were doing everything they could to get her to redirect the course of her life. But nothing was working. Nothing was working. At one point, his oldest daughter, not the rebellious one, Barbara was the rebellious one. His, his, at one point, his oldest daughter, Ruth, came to him and said, Dad, let me just ask you something. Is there, is there anything you need to tell Barbara that you haven't told her yet? And he said, uh, No. I've said it all at least once and probably many more times than that. So Ruth said to him, then ease off. I really believe as you and mom step back and let her go, you will give room for the Holy Spirit to work. As long as she feels your emotional pressure, the Holy Spirit can't show her Christ. And that hit home. That hit home with him. He later admitted, I had been taking Barbara so seriously and unconsciously making her feel my concern that I wasn't giving her the opportunity to be driven to Christ by her own mistakes. I was trying to be the Holy Spirit in Barbara's life. And in doing so, listen to this statement, how he says this. In doing so, I only succeeded in making her more aware of me than of God. I only succeeded in making her more aware of me than of God. 
See, we must relinquish our children to the Lord. It's not that we don't love our adult child, that we don't care about them. No, no, it's not about that. But, but we must choose to place them in God's hands and to keep placing them in God's hands and to trust him to do what he wants. Because ultimately what they need is Jesus, not us. What they ultimately need is Jesus. And sometimes we may be getting in the way of that because of our efforts to point them to God. Our lectures and all that. You know, just, just a little side note here for all of us. If, if, if our adult children, if they're not listening, it's probably time to stop forcing the conversation. If they are not listening to us, it's probably well past time to stop forcing the conversation. We can love them without lectures. And in doing so, we may be releasing them. We are releasing them to God. There is one final word I believe the Lord has for us, and it's this. Don't lose hope. Don't lose hope. Keep praying for them. Keep asking for God to draw them to himself, to open their eyes, to see their need of him. Don't lose hope. You never know. You never know how or when God may miraculously respond to those prayers. Pastor Jim Cimbala is pastor of uh, um, Brooklyn Tabernacle Church in New York City. He's written a book, a couple books. One was called Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. He openly shares about his oldest daughter, Chrissy, um, um, how, how she had been a model child growing up. Um, model child growing up, love the Lord, all that. But, but around 16 years old, she started to stray from them, from her parents, and from God. She even left home. Many nights, they didn't even know where she was. He admits that as a dad, he tried everything. He begged, he pleaded, he scolded, he argued, he tried to control her with money. Nothing worked. She just hardened more and more. She hardened her heart more and more. Her boyfriend was everything that they did not want for their child. Jim Cimbala said he, he was so trying to make something happen, but the more he pressed, it seemed like the worse she got. I want us to watch a video clip of what happened next in their two and a half year journey. He describes this, what happened to them next. Let's watch this. And I told my wife, I'm not going to see my daughter until she's right. And that's my first child. My wife kept in touch with her. Months went by. Christmas, sad Christmas. Who wants presents when your daughter's away? On a February night in the prayer meeting, my house shall be called the house of prayer. We were all praying and calling on God and waiting on God. You know, nobody in charge, no choir, no speaker. Who needs it? You have Jesus. It's amazing how wonderful he is. And someone sent a note up to me, a woman, a young lady who hears, hears, who's sensitive to the Lord. And she sent a note up through an usher and the note said, I feel deeply impressed that we should stop the prayer meeting and pray for your daughter. 
I looked at the note. People were praying all around me. I looked at the note and said, God, is this really you? I don't want to be the center of attraction. People have their own needs, but I felt impressed it was. I stopped the prayer meeting after a little while, and everybody gathered together in that room, in that church, and held hands, uh, over a thousand people probably that night. And, and I called one of my associate pastors in the front, and he began to pray. And all I can tell you, and I don't know what your theology is, and it really doesn't matter. I'm just going to tell you what happened. You know where Paul said, Paul said, I travail like a mother giving birth to Christ be formed on you? Well, I told the people, my daughter thinks up is down, and down is up, and she thinks light is dark, and dark is light. And unless God visits her and intervenes, my daughter is out there. And, and, and I'm going to, someone wants me to stop the meeting so you could pray. My associate's going to come. He's going to pray. And suddenly, it turned into a labor room. You ever hear women when they're giving labor? Having labor? It's not pleasant, but it has some great results. And they began to pray. I was overwhelmed by it. I was, as God is my witness, I was overwhelmed by it. I mean, they began to pray as if they went to the throne of grace like, and now, Satan, you will give up that girl. Jay, if you would just come, let's sing past me, not O gentle Savior. And they prayed. I came home. My wife wasn't there that night. And over a cup of coffee at night, I told her, Carol, it's over. She said, what's over? I said, it's over. If there's a God in heaven, I, what I just experienced tonight, it is over, finito, it's over. Just about a day later, I was shaving. And my wife burst into the bathroom and said, Chrissy's here. I said, Chrissy, I hadn't seen her in four months. Chrissy, and you better go down. I went down the steps and in the, wiping off the shave cream and in the, in, on the kitchen floor was my daughter on her knees. And then when I walked in the kitchen, she grabbed at my pants leg. She pulled it. She was weeping and she said, Daddy, I've sinned against God. I've sinned against myself. I've sinned against you and mommy. Daddy, forgive me for being rebellious, etc. Daddy, Daddy, it's different. But Daddy, who was praying for me? Who was praying Tuesday night for me? Why, Chrissy, what happened? And she drew up to me. She said, in the middle of the night, God woke me up. And he showed me that I was heading toward a chasm and it had, no, it had no bottom. But daddy, even as he showed me that and showed me how off I was, he put his arms around me and he showed me that he loved me and he had a plan for my life. And daddy, I, I made it right with God. And I could tell by her face she was my daughter again, the one I had raised. Awesome story of God's miraculous intervention. Now, here's, here's what I don't want us to do in response to that. Okay, I need to get a thousand people together. And what did he say? Satan be... We turn it into a formula. That's what I don't want us to do. This is not about formulas. But I wanted to watch that video. I wanted us to watch that video because of the reminder of a couple of things. One, reminder that we need each other. We need each other. If you're struggling you're, you're, as a parent and you're afraid to tell anyone, hey, tell someone. <laughs> Every parent knows how hard it is to be a parent. Let's get this, these secrets out. 
to at least a few trusted people so we can, in community, struggle together for our children in prayer. And that's the other thing I want us to learn is, from that video is just don't lose hope. Don't, don't stop praying. I'm sure there were many times in that two and a half years where they, weren't feel like, they didn't feel like anything was happening and the harder they tried, nothing was going, you know, just don't lose hope. Keep loving Keep relinquishing. Keep praying. And remember, God loves your child way more than you do, (laughs) right? He loves our children way more than we do. We can trust him. We can trust him. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, would you come? You know every person here. You know every situation here. We welcome you. I want to pray, Holy Spirit, I want to pray first of all just for every parent in this room. Even those with, just, with young children and every parent. Lord, we, we need wisdom. Man, we need wisdom from you. Every child is so different and there are challenges. I pray for parents of special needs children. I pray for adopted parents who have adopted children. Just the the unique challenges that so many families face. Just parenting is hard. And I pray, we pray for you to pour out your spirit, your, your encouragement upon us as parents in the midst of our discouragement for situations that don't seem to be changing, I pray for your encouragement and your wisdom. And Lord, I want to pray that you would lift shame right now. You would lift shame. If we have carried shame for how our child is behaving and, um, or how they're living their lives, and we carry the shame that basically says, man, if you would have done something different, they wouldn't be that way. God, would you, would you just lift that? We, we acknowledge our need. We acknowledge that we're not perfect. We know that. And we bring to you our brokenness. We bring to you our failures. We bring it all to you. And pray for your forgiveness and your cleansing. Lift the guilt and the comparison that we do as parents. Would you lift that? And help us just to keep running to you for wisdom for our children, not other people's children, for our children. Because you have given them to us for a reason. So I pray for your help in that. And I pray, Lord, if there are apologies that need to happen as parents, even if our children are estranged from us, we haven't spoken for a season, if there's tension, Lord, that we would own our responsibility. We would be humble enough to not focus on their behavior, but to look at the the log in our own eye. And we would be humble enough to apologize to our children for any mistakes we've made, any ways we have hurt them. I pray for the courage to do that. And I pray for healing in relationships. 
And Lord, I want—I I just want to encourage us as parents right now um, to relinquish our children to the Lord. In fact, I would encourage if you're a parent, just uh, for a moment, just close our eyes and no one's looking around, but almost just have your hands in front of you with your palms up. And you, in the quiet of your heart, you can just say kind of along with me, Lord, I relinquish to you, my children. I offer them to you. I acknowledge I want to control, especially as I want to control what they're doing as adults and all that, but I can't. But you are in control. And so I lay them on the altar. And I may have to keep doing this, Lord, but I just, I lay my children on the altar and acknowledge they are ultimately yours. They're ultimately yours. You have entrusted them to me, but they are ultimately yours. Okay, you can bring your hands back in. And there's one more thing I want to do. I, I just want to encourage you right now. If you have, you're in a situation where you have a, a wayward child and they're not sitting next to you. Um, this will work easier if they're not, but uh, you under, you'll understand what I mean here, but just sort of joking, but not really. But uh, um, here, here's what I want you to do. I'm, I'm going to pray a prayer in just a moment. And sometimes there is a, it's an act of faith just to even do something like raise a hand and say, Lord, I am just acknowledging my need in faith, I'm just acknowledging my need in a tangible way. So what I want to ask you to do, if you're in that situation as a parent, you have a child that's just making some decisions that you're concerned about. I just, everyone's head is bowed and eyes are closed. I just want you just to raise your hand. Just hold it up for a moment. And we're gonna, I'm going to pray for you. So just raise your hand. Just in faith. We're just going to agree together right now. And, and those who are not raising hands, I, we need your prayer power right now. We need your prayer power. So keep your hands raised, parents. And let me lead us in a prayer. And if you want to pray quietly, that's, that's awesome. But let's pray together. Lord, we pray for these, these children right now. We pray. You know them. You love them way more than we do. And we pray for breakthroughs in the name of Jesus. We pray against the lies that they're believing, that you would speak truth to their heart. We, we cut off every assignment of the enemy against these children. And we, we pray for your fullness, Lord, the blood of Jesus over these children, that you would speak to their hearts and do whatever you need to do to make that happen, Lord, even if it means them being miserable in their sin, in their choices. Whatever you need to do, we pray that they would come to a place where they know they need you more than anything else. So for those, Lord, who have been listening to lies, for those who say they've rejected you and all those things, God, we, and those who are making poor decisions, we pray in the name of Jesus. We are agreeing together and praying for breakthroughs now in the name of Jesus. We pray you would draw these children to yourself. You are such an amazing father, and we thank you for that. Your heart of love for these children. And I pray, Lord, for wisdom for these parents whose hands are up. Wisdom to know that just that, that, that tension of loving without condoning and all of those difficult situations. We pray for supernatural wisdom 
and that you would help us as parents continue to love and that we would have the courage to relinquish our children to you. So I pray for hope now in these families who are represented by these hands that are up, hope to be poured out upon them, God. Hope to be poured out. Okay, you can put your hands down. God, thank you. Thank you for being such an awesome parent of us. We love you. We need you. We worship you, Lord. Why don't we, um, at all of our campuses here, why don't we stand um, as the worship team leads us now? Some songs of response to the Lord. Let me remind you, there are intercessors around the room with red lanyards. They would love to pray with you. If you see them, you can go to them any time during the worship. Lord, we pray that you would set us free now to worship you in spirit and truth. You would thank you that you take us as we are and we just offer ourselves to you. We offer ourselves to you, Lord. We love you.